Hello friends and welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode we will be covering everything from who George Floyd was all the way to what went down with Derek Chauvin's trial. Thank you again for joining me this week and let's go ahead and dive into today's topic. to begin today's discussion by sharing a few verses with you that I think will be a great way to keep us in a mindset of what biblical justice is and how we are to respond to events that happen like this. So if we want to start in Romans 2.11, it says the Apostle Paul puts, um, God does not show favoritism. So this is a big thing because humans, we have not only a fallen sin nature, but we um, tend to show favoritism. That's why we have political groups. That's why we tend to um, choose different groups to side with. And so we are to know that God does not show favoritism. He is impartial. In Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, it says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Um, So, as we see in the verse, Jew and Gentile, um, the Jews are set apart by Jesus because they are His chosen people, and we are Gentiles, the people who are not Jews, but God has, by His sovereignty, allowed us to be saved through redemption of Jesus Christ because He died on the cross for us. So, that shows that no one is... no one can escape redemption like everyone is allowed to be redeemed by Christ um, and that is a beautiful thing and we are to remember that when we um, see things like this on the news that everyone is a child of God when they are redeemed and um, everyone is made in the image of God and then lastly in Romans 12 19 beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And this is just put simply um, in a verse, but it holds enormous power that it is not our job to avenge when we see, um, when we feel hatred because something happens. That is not our job, it is the Lord's. Okay, I hope that you hold on to those verses as we discuss this. It is a heavy topic, it is one that has um, erupted in the United States. I think everyone really knows about it. If you watch the news, um, not only people in the United States know about it, but pretty much the whole world is aware of what is going on in the United States, that we have BLM riots because of things like this, and um, we're just in a place of struggle right now, and um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that after I introduce um, what happened, who George Floyd was, and just talk a little bit about his background and how we are to look at justice from a biblical standpoint. So let's go ahead and talk about George Floyd for a little bit. Um, Who was George Floyd, right? George Floyd was a 46-year-old father to a son named Quincy Mason Floyd and his daughters Connie Mason and Gianna Floyd. Um, He reportedly had a 22-year-old daughter from a previous marriage and his previous partner, Roxy Washington, became topic of conversation in the news after his passing. And she also addressed um, the media about his legacy. 
It is reported that he spent most of his life in his hometown of Houston, Texas, but just recently he moved to Minneapolis where he worked as a truck driver and then also prior to his death, he had been working as a security guard for a bistro in the city. It says that due to the coronavirus stay-at-home orders, he lost his job. People described him um, being tall and big because he played football and basketball in his high school years. He was called a natural athlete, um, and people said he loved the sports. Just like any family who deals with grief and loss, his family reached out to the media and were talking about how it is going to be a struggle to live without him day by day, and um, that should crush someone's heart, that when people... When people die, anybody, no matter the circumstances, when a person dies, it is a sad and tragic event. No matter how they die, it's just a loss for a family, and my heart goes out to their family. If we shift focus to discuss why um, the police were called that day, what happened, different things like that, let's get the full story, and we can discuss it after. So, the date was May 25th, and officers responded to a call from a teenage grocery store worker who alleged that Floyd had been using a forged $20 bill. Um, and he bought cigarettes from Cub Foods in Minneapolis. The store owner, Mike, who wasn't working at that time or that day, um, NBC said that Floyd was a regular customer. In a statement released by the police department, the officers responded to a forgery in process. That explains the question of why did the police officer show up in the first place? He was um, alleged to have a forged $20 bill, so they were showing up for that in the first place. In a 911 call made at 8.01 p.m., the employee told the operator he had demanded the cigarettes back, but Mr. Floyd didn't want to do that, um, according to the transcript released by authorities. The employee said that the man appeared drunk and not in control of himself, the transcript says. Shortly after the call, at around 8.08 p.m., two officers arrived, and Mr. Floyd was sitting with two other people in a car parked around the corner. So this means that he is already out of the store and he is in a vehicle. Um, after approaching the car, one of the officers, Thomas Lane, pulled out his gun and ordered Mr. Floyd to show his hands. Usually when you are pulled over by a police officer, you want to have your hands on the steering wheel. I wish you could see me do the um, impression of it, but you are supposed to have them in the view of um, the police officer once your hands in sight, you know, and it's not about your race. It's not about your color. That is just what I'm actually going through um, the driving process right now. And I am learning that the officer wants to see your hands and for right reason because you never know what that is what that person is going to do in the car if they have a gun a knife any type of weapon so it is just for the safety of the police officer and the safety of the people who he is um reported to come check on right and so after approaching the car um he he asks him to show his hands, and in an account of the incident, prosecutors do not explain why Mr. Lane thought it was necessary to draw his gun, but I am guessing that it is because um, he wanted to see his hands, right? And he then put his hands on Mr. Floyd and pulled him out of the car, um, and he actively resisted being handcuffed, um, and that was George Floyd. He resisted being arrested and once handcuffed um, he became compliant while Mr. Lane explained he was being arrested for passing counterfeit currencies. So at this time he is just being handcuffed. He um, hasn't, I don't think, has been 
read his Miranda rights yet. He is just explaining that this is why he's here. He's trying to de-escalate the situation, right? And he is trying to um, face-to-face talk to him, ask him what is happening. It is interesting to me that in this report that they said that the um, they had no reason that the police officer needed to see his hands, but then they say here that Mr. Lane asked Mr. Floyd to show his hands at least 10 times. Usually when someone is asked to do something, it is usually the first or second time that they do it, but no, it was 10 times that he had to be ordered to put his hands on the steering wheel, so that is why he ordered him to get out of the car. I think that is justified, that is um, police protocol, and it was when officers tried to pull Mr. Floyd into their squad car when he started to struggle. And he said that he was claustrophobic in a squad car. And I believe that to be true. I have read, I have uh, rode in the back of a squad car because we got in a car accident and we had to ride um, to a safe place because we were on the highway. So, um, or the interstate, sorry. But that that's not a specific detail to this but it is it is very snug it is very tight in there but i believe that is not a reason for him to struggle that is just um how the car is made you're not going to go in a different car because of that um but that did um make mr floyd uncomfortable um about eight o'clock eight fourteen mr floyd stiffened up fell to the ground and told the officers he was claustrophobic um and mr chauvin arrived at the scene he and other officers were involved in a further attempt to put mr floyd in the police car so i am assuming that derek chauvin is one of the police officers who were called for backup during this attempt at 8 19 um, p.m mr chauvin pulled mr floyd away from the passenger side causing him to fall to the ground the report says he laid there face down still in handcuffs so you do not want your perpetrator to be without like you do not want him to have accessibility to his hands right so that nothing that he has on him if he had anything on him to be accessible to him at that time witnesses started to film the incident and that is why we have all of this on camera at that time mr uh, floyd was restrained by officers while mr chauvin placed his knee between his neck um, and his head for more than nine minutes, Mr. Chauvin kept his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck, the prosecutors say, and the duration was intentionally given as eight minutes and 46 seconds, but Minnesota prosecutors have since revised the time. While Derek Chauvin has his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck, he um, says concerns. Mr. Floyd does. He's like, you're going to kill me. And then Officer Chauvin uh, replies with, then stop talking, stop yelling. It takes a heck of a lot of oxygen to talk, which... Let's stop right here. Let's like, <laughs> let's process this really quick. Like, why did he have to say that? And it it was shown that this is a tactic for Mr. Chauvin to use on people he has apprehended. The knee on the neck seems very excessive to me. So I go and I research and I found that actually it is a part of police training in Minnesota. Um, the materials include information on a restraint called the maximal restraint technique. The training materials specify that this is only to be used in situations where the subjects are handcuffed and are combative and, are, and they still pose a threat to themselves, officers, or others, or could cause significant damage to property if, the prop, if not properly restrained. It is hard to read the mind of Derek Chauvin because he did not testify, but it is hard to say, like, was this because it was part of their training 
he, he used it. And, I mean, you can't really determine whether the situation was escalating or not. We weren't there, and the film is not very clear. So, I trust officers with their training. They are trained just like every other profession to do the exact thing that they are trained. And that is part of his training. Um, and so I don't know any other restraint um, techniques. I am not a police officer, so I do not know what else he could do. I know that there were other officers there, so I do not know why, if that is a training tactic, why there couldn't be another training tactic used if there were other police officers there and they could all hold him down somehow. I don't know, but that is just a an idea, an idea that I am probably going to research into and tell you guys next time. But, um, so back to the scene, about six minutes into the period of Derek Chauvin having his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck, he becomes or non-responsive. In videos of the incident, this was when Mr. Floyd fell silent as bystanders urged the officers to check his pulse. So then, um, Officer King, I, I probably butchered that, I am so sorry. Um, but he did just that. He checked um, his right wrist, but could not find a pulse, yet the other officers did not move to help him. Um, and I'm unsure of why this happened, honestly. Like, I do not know why um, they didn't rush to aid him if he was non-responsive. They couldn't find a pulse, and so um, at that time, Mr. Chauvin removed his knee from Mr. Floyd's neck, motionless, um, Mr. Floyd was rolled onto a gurney and taken to the medical center in an ambulance. He was pronounced dead about an hour later. Let me give you a timeline of what happens after George Floyd dies and after the police arrest. So on May 25th, we know May 25th, 2020, George Floyd dies after police arrest. And then on May 26th, the protests begin. The day after um, he is pronounced dead, that is when BLM goes into the streets and starts rioting. It continues on um, May 27th. And then on May 28th, President Trump tweets about the incident and the violence, um, and then on May 29th, Derek Chauvin is charged with murder, and then continuing on May 31st, it is the sixth night of protest, and at this point, things are on fire, buildings are destroyed, um, and then police officers and the National Guard was sent in to help with this. June 1st, um, Trump threatens military response. He um, wants the National Guard to go in, June um, 2nd is the 8th night of protest, so it's just continuing on and on. June 4th is the memorial service for George Floyd. June 7th is the international protest where around the world, world um, people come together and they are protesting. Let me remind you that there is a difference between protesting and rioting. There were both at this time. There was rioting and there were protesters. So peacefully protesting is a right from the First Amendment saying that we have free speech and that is calmly um, and like it can be vivid but it is without violence um, saying hey this is an atrocity and this is what I want an outcome and the outcome that they wanted is to bring awareness to police brutality and then the last event uh, and then uh, the difference between writing is writing is out of anger you are 
burning down um, property that is not yours, you are um, inciting violence. And so June 9th is the funeral service for George Floyd, and that is the last day of the timeline. One thing I want to address before we move on to Jarek Chauvin's trial, all the details about that, I want to discuss what um, not many brought up, but just a few, and one of them was Candace Owens, and she is discussing why Floyd is held in high esteem. Honestly, he was a man, he um, had a fallen history like most of us do, but there are specific things that he did um, in his life that are interesting to look at. Just something to bring up as we talk about his legacy, because they are holding, and when I mean they, I mean BLM um, and the news media are holding him in very high esteem, so I want to get the history right. I want to put out the facts there for you because this cannot be skipped over. These are things that he did do, and in my mind, some of them are very despicable, and I do not know why we continue to hold him in high esteem because he did do these things. And let me remind you that I am not being biased here because when someone does something terrible of any race and religion, we are calling them out on this. And this is the first time that I have seen the opposite where these things happened, that he committed these crimes, and that he is praised in sight and um, in spite of what he has done. Author and conservative analyst Candace Owens reacted to the guilty verdict lodged against the former police officer Derek Chauvin and the death of George Floyd. She said that Chauvin suffered mob justice and the verdict was very likely influenced by politicians like Maxine Waters. If you do not know what Maxine Waters did, she went out into the streets of California and had all the news media that she knew come and film what she said and she was basically saying let's get more confrontational because we are not getting the outcome that we wanted out of this trial. This was only two days before the trial went on and many including myself on both sides of the aisle, Republican, Democrat, um, are questioning this. Why wasn't it a mistrial? Because many politicians have come out and they were threatening or condoning violence if the criminal justice system doesn't reward them a victory um, of what they wanted, which is, in Derek Chauvin's case, a second-degree, third-degree murder uh, conviction charge and a manslaughter charge. Tucker Carlson says that what we are really seeing is, is mob justice, and that is really what happened with this entire trial. This was not a trial about George Floyd and Derek Chauvin. Um, this trial was a trial about whether the media was powerful enough to create a simulation and decide upon a narrative absent any facts. Owens goes on and says that a teenager's cell phone video of Floyd's encounter with Chauvin was played on a loop during the trial, while other information about the incident um, seemed intentionally left out. Uh, they did not point out the details about the fentanyl Floyd had ingested prior to his death. And then this is what the media is telling us. The media told us that Floyd was a man who is just getting his life together, a good member of society, and he, he messed up because a racist white police officer had it out for him and killed him. 
And then Owen says, adding that the fentanyl context is ignored by activists completely because they kept hitting that narrative, and the Democrats are happy because they realize the media supports them, and now that means Democrats can get whatever they want. She has a point to what she is saying, that the media only portrays what the Democratic Party wants them to portray. When I do my episodes, I have to look on both sides of the story. I have to go to CNN, and then I also have to go to what I know is a conservative media, which is usually found in the UK because it's not based in the US, but it is really hard to find um, good media that does not have any bias with it. It is said that people like Floyd can be treated like pawns in a political game, um, remarking that with the threat of urban violence and looting, those in power can get their way. Another thing that Candace Owens picks up on that I honestly think is a good thing to pick up on is that the Democrat party line vote not to punish uh, Maxine Waters for her remarks, saying it was so old, Tucker, I can remember when a man said to march peacefully and patriotically to the Capitol, and that was considered an incitement to violence. And let me remind you that the people who quote-unquote stormed the Capitol that day are being tried for um, going into the Capitol, but those that are BLM rioters right now are not being charged and they're being let go. So keep that in your mind as we are thinking about justice, as we are thinking about fairness, that we go back to that um, Bible verse that says that God does not show partiality. He is he is impartial. That means that he um, treats everyone equally, fair, and just. If we go in to talk about the details of different things that Floyd did in his lifetime, let's talk about Floyd's first arrest. This occurred on August 2nd, 1997, when he was almost 23 years old. According to the prosecutors, police in that case caught him delivering less than one gram of cocaine to someone else, so they sentenced him to six months in jail. Then the following year, which is in 1998, um, the authorities arrested and charged Floyd with theft on two separate occasions on September 25th, 1998, and then December 9th, 1998, sentencing him to a total of 10 months and 10 days in jail. Then about three years later, on August 29, 2001, Floyd was sentenced to 15 days in jail for failure to identify to a police officer. Court documents say this, and then, in other words, he allegedly didn't give his name, address, or date of birth to a cop who was arresting him for reasons that are unknown. The court records didn't say why the police were questioning him in the first place, and then they requested that personal information. Between 2002 and 2005, police arrested and charged Floyd for another four crimes, which, if we're thinking about this, before I go on, this is kind of a lot. This They said that he was non-confrontational, that he did not get into a lot of trouble, that people on the news media says that he was someone easily to get along with, but he has been charged with a lot of crimes. And those four crimes for having less than one gram of cocaine on him on October 29, 2002, for criminal trespassing on January 3, 2003, for intending to give less than one gram of cocaine to someone else on February 6, 2004, and for, again, having less than one gram of cocaine in his possession on December 15, 2005. He was sentenced for about 30 months in jail total for those crimes, and then lastly, in 2007, uh, authorities arrested and charged Floyd with his most serious crime, which, in my 
opinion is the most despicable, the most disgusting thing that he did, and um, I cannot turn my eye to this. Um, drug use is something that people do get involved with, and he was re he was reprimanded for those crimes, but this this was an aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon. And if you read the report, it discusses that two women and a toddler were in a home when they heard a knock on the front door. When um, the lady looked out the window, she saw a man dressed in a blue uniform who said he was with the water department. But when she opened the door, she realized the man was telling a lie and she tried sh uh, shutting him out. Then the statement reads, however, this male held the door open and prevented her from doing so. At this time, a black Ford Explorer pulled up in front of the, ho the house of the resident and five other black males exited this vehicle and proceeded to the front door. The largest of these suspects forced his way into the residence, placed a pistol against the um, person, the lady's abdomen, and forced her into the living room area of the residence. This large suspect then proceeded to search the residence while other armed suspect guards then um, guarded the other ladies in the house who was struck in the head and side areas by the second armed suspect with his pistol after she screamed for help. As suspects looked through the residence, they demanded to know where the drugs and money were, and the lady advised them that there were no such things in the residence. The suspects then took some jewelry along with the cell phone before they fled the scene in the black Ford Explorer. About three months later, the narcotics division um, found their vehicle, and at that time, the six foot seven Floyd was identified as the largest of the six suspects who arrived at that home in the Ford Explorer and as and had pushed a pistol against um, the woman's abdomen before looking for items to steal. Nothing in the court documents suggests he was pregnant at the time of the robbery, contrary to what memes. George Floyd pleaded guilty in 2009 and was sentenced to five years in prison. He was paroled in January 2013 when he was almost 40 years old. So this is getting to the point where he is almost 46 years old, where this goes down with um, the police officers in Minneapolis. Um, but if we stop really quick to discuss that last um, crime, that, why? Like, he, he went into that lady's home, and that just makes me feel disgusted. Like, he went inside a person's home, held a gun to them, and then the media is saying that he is a good person. That is the legacy that they are leaving for him. But no, if we look at the facts, if we look at the evidence, he was charged um, for five years. He was he went to jail for five years, so he um, paid out his sentence for that crime, but that is disgusting to go into a home with a toddler who is watching this happen and again he was looking for drugs in that home so these are things that we have to take into consideration when we watch the news when we look at evidence of this case on april 19th derek chauvin's trial occurred and the jury found um former police officer derek chauvin guilty on all the counts um, he faced over the death of George Floyd. The trial has been one of the most closely watched cases in recent memory, setting off a national reckoning on police violence and systemic racism even before the trial commenced. 
and these are the crimes that he was charged with. Chauvin, who is 45, has been found guilty on unintentional second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. The prosecutor said he did what he did on purpose and it killed George Floyd. That comment seems to be very constructive and demeaning in a way that he is um, reading the mind of Derek Chauvin. He does not know if he is racist. He does not know if he did it on purpose. He does not know if that is a part of his training. He did not um, suggest that, but he does say that he did it on purpose without knowing that. The defense does call for a mistrial. Once the 12 jurors were sent to deliberate, Nelson called, asked um, the judge to declare a mistrial, arguing that prosecutor um, Jerry Blackwell who gave the rebuttal for the state, belittled the defense in front of the jury by accusing it of telling Halloween stories Darnella, who was 17 when she took video of the incident. Um, the county's medical examiner, Dr. Andrew Baker, testified that Floyd died from cardiopulmonary arrest resulting from law enforcement restraint and the neck compressions. He said the manner of the death was homicide, meaning that someone else was involved in the death. Compared with the prosecution, the defense's testimony was brief. Defense attorney Nelson called just six witnesses, including a retired Minneapolis police officer and a retired paramedic who had interacted with Floyd during a 2019 traffic stop. The defense spent the most time questioning Dr. David Fowler, a retired forensic pathologist who testified that Floyd died from a sudden cardiac event that the opioids and methamphetamine in his system and possibly carbon monoxide poisoning played a role. As we conclude this, we have to look on both sides of the story. We have to look at the Bible for evidence of what justice is. And as we see in the Bible, as we read, vengeance is not ours. It is for the Lord. And as we saw in the streets for before in 2020 and then before the trial and even now, we see violence. We see people inciting violence in our government. Is that justice? In my words, no. I do not see that as violence. I see that as despicable and disgusting because we are to mourn with those who mourn. We are not supposed to go out and create more havoc and kill more people because something bad happened. And I said this before and I'll say it again. It is unethical and unbiblical to react with something terrible with violence. It is unclear in my point of view from all the research that I have conducted that that was the right choice for Derek Chauvin. Um, I, I possibly agree that the trial sentencing of manslaughter is accurate, but I did a project on hate crime legislation this past week for my school project and I dove into the different factors of the justice system. And as we look at this, no one can read the mind of that police officer. No one can, they are calling him a white racist police officer. You do not know that his intentions were racist. He actually used a tactic that he got in police training. But from my point of view, he did it inaccurately. He did use that tactic, but he used it way too long to the point that he was unconscious. And that is something we have to look at. We cannot just blame one side of the story. We have to look at all sides, all the points of view. And I believe that um, Derek Chauvin's actions were to go to trial, but I believe that that trial was not a form of justice. And if 
Derek Chauvin wants to come back and appeal for another court case to re to re um sorry to have a relook at his trial. He is allowed to do so, but it looks like it is not going to be a fair game at any of this if he does appeal for a new trial um, to relook at the evidence because of what happened into the streets, the BLM riots, the um, representatives going out and saying. Uh, we need justice, which pushed people to look into the jurors, different things like that. It was not a justice system um, victory here, and I believe that with my whole heart. So that is what I took out of the whole George Floyd, Derek Chauvin thing. If you have any opinions that you want to add, feel free to DM me um, or text me, any of those. Um, reach out. If you go to my Instagram page, I have a link to everything that you need to know in my bio, and you can access me there. I thank you for sticking around for so long. I know this was a very long episode, but we had to get to every single detail so I did not miss anything. But um, I pray that you have a good week, and I cannot wait to talk to you next week. Bye, guys.